Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. If you could turn to John chapter 6 in your Bible or on your phone, we're in a series called Believe, going through the Gospel of John. Our theme verse is in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And my prayer for all of you as we go through this whole series is that in a world full of cynicism and death, you will be filled with belief and life through Jesus. Today, we're looking at John 6, verses 16 through 21, and it's entitled, It Is I, Don't Be Afraid. I was thinking this past week about all of the challenging topics uh, that many of us have had to address with our kids, Uh, and not just my personal kids, but I'm thinking of the kids of our church over these last two years, Um, an increased level of death because of things like the pandemic and We've had some suicides hit close to home and lots of other things happen. There's been extreme polarization. And you know, our kids hear things from their friends uh, that their friends hear their parents say, and it causes our kids to wonder, why is everyone saying such different things? Uh, We went through a very divisive election and we went through a riot at the Capitol and an attack. We are in the midst still of the politicization of literally every issue imaginable to man. Any any issue that someone can grab onto and try to frame for us before we even get to it, someone's grabbing on it. And to the point of, in some cases, the loss of empathy and compassion, which leaves kids thinking like, why are we treating people like this? Hatred, evil, and now war. Then I started thinking about all of us adults (laughs) that are also tossed back and forth by all these storms, yet trying to remain strong and hold it together. And I'm sure all of us have at some point asked, what do we do when we're following Jesus with all our heart, but still feel trapped in the storms of life? How do we make sense of that? What do we do with our fear? What do we do with our real emotions? And the text today addresses it in a powerful way. It is a familiar story, but in this account of the gospel, the book of John, uh, there's part of the story included that you might not be aware of, uh, and we're going to get to it towards the end, and it's incredible. Many commentators and scholars call it the bonus miracle. So keep your ears peaked for the bonus miracle today. It's about Jesus walking on the water is the text. Let's read together in verse 16, and we're going to go through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now you have to look at the context a little bit. Last week we talked about the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, 
And this is literally the same day that that miracle took place. It says there right at the beginning, when evening came. So in other words, they have had a long day and now they're heading out to sea to row to get to a different city. And it said the disciples went down to the lake, they got in the boat. And this story, as I mentioned earlier, is not just included in the Gospel of John, it's also in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. And those accounts of the story include some other details that I'm just gonna remind you of for the sake of connecting all the dots. It's the same story when Peter walked on the water, uh, but John left that part out of his account. Maybe he was jealous, I don't know. It's the same story where it talks about this storm was actually so intense that the disciples really struggled with rowing. It is the kind of situation where you're rowing as hard as you can and getting nowhere. It's also the story where Jesus is the one that directed them to get into the boat and go out to sea to get to Capernaum at that exact time. So they, they were there under the direct direction of Jesus. And in verse 17, B, which just means, sometimes you'll include an A or B, by the way, and verse 17, B just means we're looking at the second half of the verse. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So we have a situation here that I want you to try to put yourself into the middle of. Use your imagination as if you're in the beginning of a movie. The disciples are exhausted. They saw a wonderful miracle. He then told his disciples, you guys now get in this boat, go out to sea and go to Capernaum. I'll meet up with you later. So they are obeying what God told them to do. Jesus did not go with them. It got dark and then a storm came upon them. So they are without Jesus in the dark in rough waters. Verse 18 says, the wind was strong and it was blowing and the waters grew rough. And we look, when we look at all those accounts, we know that they have been rowing for a long time and they are now getting nowhere. So it is a very difficult situation. It is a storm of life. And it leads to the first principle. Sometimes obeying God leads you directly into a storm. We are not doing people favors when we as Christians or pastors or anyone that's telling someone about what it is to follow Jesus we should not present it as, hey, put your faith in Jesus and bring your life into obedience to the living God and everything is just gonna get perfect in your life. False advertising, setting people up for failure. Now, don't get me wrong. Following Jesus is what leads to the greatest joy, life-changing renewal in your heart and mind, forgiveness. Oh my goodness, it is incredible. But that obedience to Jesus continually in your life can sometimes lead you into storms. Have you guys ever experienced this? It's like, Jesus, I put my faith in you. Maybe it's about a specific issue. I put my faith in you about this, and I believe I've been obedient to you about this. I believe you spoke to me about this, and I said yes, and now it has led me directly into one of the most challenging seasons of my life. And we think things like, God, I thought it was supposed to get better when I obeyed you, not worse. And we have examples in scripture about this. You guys remember the guy named Moses? He wrestled with God. God told him, go to Pharaoh and command him to let the people of Israel go. Tell him to let my people go. And Moses did not wanna go. He wrestled with God. He offered up excuses. Finally, Moses went. There were a lot of measures taken to get to this point. Finally, Moses 
is obedient to what God told him to do. And the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, no, get out of here. And he makes the workload that much harder for the Israelites. So Moses' first act of obedience to the living God made life worse for the entire nation of Israel. Thank you, God. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. And that is representative of spiritual warfare in our lives, by the way. When we're not saying yes to God, and when we're just kind of very complacent in our lives, we're not much of, much of a threat to the kingdom of darkness or to anything going on, so we might just kind of be left alone. But when we say yes to the voice of God in our life, we go out and we become part of what God is doing in the world, and we enter spiritual warfare. Jesus himself, when he was baptized in the Jordan, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. He was 30 years old. His father spoke with a loud voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit immediately led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Thank you, God, my father. Being led by the Spirit doesn't mean you're not gonna be in storms. And just as a side note, you may be thinking right now, I'm better off not obeying then, right? If we want our lives to improve, why would we obey God then? Why would we come to the Lord with, with radical obedience? Well, let me just remind you, when it comes to obedience to God, we are all choosing to play the long game of trust. It may get worse before it gets better, but it's going to end up being the best. And let me say it this way, following Jesus is always our best option and will lead to the best outcome, even if it's hard at first. Tracking with me? So I love how Eugene Peterson said it. It's a long obedience in the same direction. You've got to set your heart for the long haul. We are not just about wanting you to be followers of Jesus and equipping you to say yes in a service. We're about you serving Jesus and ending stronger than you started, right? We want you on your deathbed singing the praises of God in a place of peace, ready to go home, right? We want you alive in the spirit of God. So get your vision for the long haul. And then we haven't even talked about eternity. I believe our obedience now pays dividends in eternity. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but he, God is doing some beautiful things. He's setting things up that we do not understand. So even when our obedience leads to challenges, we should not lose resolve. In verse 19, it says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, so they are exhausted, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. So now, they're in the middle of the storm. They're exhausted. They're, it's dark. They're wondering what's going on. They see someone out on the water. It is Jesus. It is the living God in the flesh. Jesus is with them, and they're terrified, and I think it speaks something to us. Being frightened in a storm does not mean God is not with you. They didn't realize Jesus was with them at this moment, but he was. He was directly with them, physically with them. You may think you've been abandoned. You may sometime in the future, in a really hard moment in your life, feel like it's gone too far. God is just not here with me anymore. I've done too much. Too much has happened. I loved this footage, this photo that came from one of the reporters over in Ukraine. The headline said this, a group of older Ukrainian women defiantly gathering in the face of active bombings in an open square to pray. Did you see that? 
these women are in a storm, but they know that God is still with them. I would venture to say they're dealing with terror in their hearts. They're probably thinking of families, loved ones, friends, all throughout the country, yet they know God is with them in the storm. So even if you feel terrified in your storm right now, we wouldn't likely admit to it around a bunch of people when we're singing about the joy of the Lord, but you might hit your pillow tonight and there are a few things that rise to the top of your consciousness that you're terrified about. And they are storms. And I just wanna encourage you, just because that's how you feel and that's the situation you're in, does not mean God is not with you. And we're gonna continue to look at that here. Reading on, we see in the next verse what God said to them. And by the way, I'm using God and Jesus interchangeably because the theme of the Gospel of John is that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, God in the flesh. So what we believe scripture teaches is we have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one triune God. One God, but three persons in one. So I want you, if you don't believe it yet, to challenge your heart and rise up in faith that Jesus is God. And that's why I'm using the words interchangeably. So they had rode those three or four miles. They saw Jesus, he's on the water, they're frightened. But Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. I love this picture. Again, roaring winds, waves that are terrifying them at the end of their rope. Have you ever had that feeling where you're just at the end of your rope? You do not know what to do. They're in that kind of moment. And there's a person in the middle of their storm speaking to them that they are afraid of. And they don't realize who it is. And he says, it is me. Don't be afraid. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but God often comes to us in and through the storms of our life. I'll say it to you this way. When you bring the storms of your life to prayer, when you call out to God about those, which you should do, by the way. Sometimes we just have storms and we never talk to God about it. We just think about it all the time. We worry about it all the time. When you actually bring it to God and you start saying, God, what is the deal with this? I'm so frustrated with this. This is worrying me. This is terrifying me. I'm so angry. God, what's going on here? Oftentimes, what we want them to do is just remove the storm, right? Take us out of the storm. Calm the seas. Deal with us right away, God. But oftentimes, what we find is he will teach us when we are in his presence that he is coming to us right in the midst of the storm. He's not the God who always just snaps his finger and makes all the challenges go away. He's the God who meets you in the midst of the challenges. I would say it even this way. Perhaps if I was given the choice to make every difficulty in my life go away right now at the snap of my finger, I might be tempted to do it, but I don't believe it would be good for me. I don't believe it would draw me closer to the Father. I don't believe I would come to know Jesus more. I don't believe I would continue to grow in my discipleship. I would have the sense that I had no need. Are you tracking with me? So when we think things like, God, can't you take this person out of my life? This person annoys me. Or maybe it's a little bit more serious. And, and let me put the caveat. I'm not talking about abusive situations. Sometimes you do have to run from a relationship, right? Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you have to stay in every situation, but in those situations where you know you're committed and it's your sibling or it's your child, 
or your grandchild or your parent, and you're saying, God, this relationship has become so difficult. What should I do here? How do I get any kind of restoration here? Oftentimes, God is not going to just remove it. He's going to say, hey, it's me. I'm right here in this, and I'm going to use this in your life. Don't be afraid. Tracking with me? So it reframes every situation. Have you ever felt just frustrated with yourself? Maybe that's one of your storms. Have you ever felt like you never quite live up to your own goals and your own standards? Anybody want to confess that with me? And you can live like that, and that in itself can become a storm in your life, just disappointment in yourself. And I'm telling you, even in that storm, when you pray about it, I guarantee you, God's not going to say, okay, get perfect, then you'll feel great. He's going to say, hey, I'm right here. I'm right in these clouds. It's me. Don't be afraid. God, couldn't you just give me enough money to solve all my problems? Have you ever prayed that? God, if you just give me twice as much as I need, or even just like uh, 25% more than I need, ah, I will just like serve you. I'll give that 25% away. I'll finally be at peace. You know those kinds of prayers? But if oftentimes, if God just did that, he knows it wouldn't be good for you. Rather, he says, hey, don't worry. I might not be the author of your storm, but I allowed you to be in this storm. Come to me. It's me. I'm right here in the clouds. Don't be afraid. And then in verse 21, it has possibly one of the most critical parts of this story. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, which the fact that it says then right there means that at some point they were not willing, probably when they were afraid of him and didn't know who it was. It says then they were willing to take him into the boat. And here's the bonus miracle that we don't always talk about in this story. And immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. How come we don't talk about that part of the story when we talk about Jesus walking on the water? I know why, because normally, we normally read it in Matthew or Luke. I'm sorry, Matthew or Mark. It's not in Luke. But this account in the Gospel of John has the bonus miracle. And here's how it challenges us, I believe. In the middle of your storm, are you willing to see Jesus in it, hear his call, and take him into your boat? And I would say it this way in your notes. Have you recognized Jesus and made room for him in your boat? And boat is metaphorical for your life. Think of it this way. Am I willing to see God right in the middle of my pain and invite him even more into it? See him right in the middle of my worry and invite him more into it. Right in the middle of my deepest fears. Wow, you're right there speaking to me. Come right into this. Sit with me here. See him in the middle of your exhaustion. Come into my life, Lord, more. And then number five in your notes, and this is so beautiful. When you make room for Jesus, you make room for divine intervention. And that's speaking to the bonus miracle. Somehow, in the middle of that sea, when they could get nowhere, when they made room for Jesus, it says they immediately arrived at their destination. But it does beg the question, how do we make room for this divine intervention? And I want to give you a little bit of a challenging word, and then we're going to close the message. Have you ever noticed, when you get really honest about your life, that when you really want something, you make room for it in your life? 
when you really want it. We can all say we're busy. We're all busy. We got stuff going on. But you still do certain things that you really want. And we see this in our kids. My three-year-old son is obsessed with coloring right now. I'm so glad about it because he has uh, an obsession beyond just like watching the iPad, right? So he will color literally for over an hour without even picking up his head, and he'll do it multiple times a day. It's crazy. I have, I, have, I mean, hundreds of coloring book pages from my son in my room that he wants me to hang on my wall. I could wallpaper my house with things my son has colored for me. It's amazing. So it's something he's passionate about right now. And the other day, he was towards the end of his nap. He's just in his last stage of napping, so soon that's going to go away. But you parents will, will relate to this. It was time for him to get up from his nap, and we don't want him to go over his nap time because then it messes up our night, right? So the stakes are high, if you know what I'm saying. And it was my job to get him up, and this particular day, he would not wake up. I mean, I was like basically hitting him. I'm like, Clay, Clay. I was like hitting his cheek a little bit and I like lifted him up and he was just like this. He was doing that whole move on me. I was like, you cannot still be asleep. Like I, 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 it was everything from like, I just didn't shake. I was like, Clay. So I started trying to like tempt him. Like, Clay, do you want a cookie? Nothing. He didn't even, he didn't even open his eyes. Clay, um, do you want to play tracks? He's all about Hot Wheels. Didn't even budge. Clay, do you want to play Avengers Assemble? Because that's a big thing. Nope, didn't even budge. And then thankfully, I think by divine inspiration, I thought of coloring. <laughs> and I am not exaggerating at all. But I said, Clay, do you want to color? And he went, yeah, Dad, where's my crayons? Can you, can you give me that page out? I want to do Hulk. <laughs> like he was playing me hardcore. We make room for what we really want. He wanted to color. And that's a silly example, but we do the exact same thing. And here's the challenging word. Are you making room for the living God in your heart? Like, he wants to be our first love. The, the obsession of our life the thing that we long for more than anything? Are you making room for him there? Are you making room for him in your thought life? If you were to audit your thoughts for 24 hours, what are you listening to? What are you thinking about? We make room for social media. We make room for binging Netflix shows. We make room for podcasts, video games, music. I'm not saying any of those are bad. I do all those things, but are we making room for his voice? I'm telling you this, if you want his voice, you will make room for it. Let's just be honest about it. If you want it, you'll make room for it. We make room for what we want. Are you making room in your schedule? We make room for fun. We make room for entertainment. We make room for all kinds of things that we really want. And I heard someone say recently, and it, uh, it convicted me right away. He said, my most important appointment every day is with the Lord. And this particular guy, who's a friend of mine, does it at 5 a.m. I'm not saying you gotta do that. But he does a 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. appointment with the Lord every day. And he just kind of said in passing, it's the most important appointment of my day and I always keep it. And I was like, oh wow, that's true. And I was convicted because 
I'm not as regimented in my personality. And uh, can anybody non-regimented people relate to me? Okay. We're not all sinners. We're not all going to hell. You, can, you don't have to do 5 to 6 a.m. every day. But here's what convicted me. I have meetings with people all the time. I do counseling. I do pastoral meetings. I share vision. I, I, I do trainings. I do development. And I'm a stickler about keeping meetings and being on time and being very present. I, I want to try to be very present with people when I'm with them. And I felt like God was just like, you keep your meetings with everyone else better than you keep them with me. I was like, whoa. Because you just kind of can take the presence of God for granted, right? Oh, you're with me, Lord. Oh, you're with me. And, I, and this is not to be a, a condemnation. This is all in the context of the gospel. Are you with me? This is not earning salvation. This is not earning blessing. This is, are we making room? Are we making room? Do we really want his voice? So I've been convicted recently to up my game on setting my appointments with the Lord and making sure I keep them as the most important appointments of my day. And then you guys that are raising young families like me, are you making room in your family rhythms? Our culture pulls our kids a gazillion directions. Can I get an amen? I mean, every direction but towards the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every force in their life is pulling them away from a godly life before the Lord. And that's not doomsday. That's just the reality of our culture and our world. And our choices as parents with our family rhythms speak to them what we believe is important. So if, if things like church or time together in prayer or youth group or kids ministry or looking at the scripture, if those things are always second, third, or fourth thoughts, and those things always bend their knee to education or sports or extracurricular activities, which all those things are good. But if, if the things we're doing to form them in the Lord always bow their knee to that, you know what our kids are raised thinking? Those are more important than my life before the Lord. It's just simple. Our kids do not get the message we speak to them. They get the message that we live before them. It doesn't matter <laughs> what we want them to get. It matters how we live, right? Now, that shouldn't just be discouraging to you because at the end of the day, I believe that if your heart is before the Lord, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, that's what they're gonna get. And that's really good news because all the efforts and all the programs and all the books, and I'm just like all the other parents, we're, we're just trying to get stuff that works. And a lot of times it feels like it's not working. So don't, don't get this as more weight. If your heart before, is before the Lord, I believe your kids are gonna get that. But I do wanna give you the tough word of build your family rhythms around making room for Jesus in your family boat. Like, let's do that and let's commit to that. When you make room for Jesus, you make room for divine intervention. You know what I want more than anything in my kids' lives? Divine intervention. <laughs> I don't want my own intervention. I'm gonna try, but I'm so flawed. I don't want the gazillion, here's how to raise kids books to be our hope. The only hope is divine intervention. Is anybody with me? The only hope. The only hope for you, period, is divine intervention. <laughs> This is why the gospel is so beautiful. We have a God who comes for us. The only way that he won't get in our boat is if we say, get out of here. He wants to be in your boat. He wants to be in all the room you will give him. He loves you, he sees every need, sees you in your storm. 
and I believe calls to you right in the middle of the storms you're in now and says, it is I, don't be afraid. And I'm praying that you will recognize him and you will say, come on, get more in this boat. Get in this boat. So Father, as the worship team comes, Father, we thank you for your word to us that speaks life and speaks conviction. We're hungry for the conviction of of your Holy Spirit because we know it leads us to life. We're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the, the kind of right living that you've called us to. Forgive us for so often valuing so many other voices above yours and not really making the room that we would like to for your voice in our life. We wanna come before you today and just say yes to, just like the disciples, exhausted, rowing aimlessly, frustrated, probably getting frustrated with each other, terrified, not recognizing God in the midst of the storm, but right there, God, you graciously come and are present with us. And we know you didn't cause the storm. You're not the author of the storms or the evil in our lives, but we know you take even what the enemy intends for evil, you use it to draw us close to yourself. And so God, I pray that we would recognize you in our moments of exhaustion and weariness. God, we wanna see your face. God, we need to see you. God, we need to be reminded that you are here. And God, we wanna pray collectively. We make room for you in our lives. We make room for you in our hearts and our minds. We make room for you in all of our decisions, all of the storms, all the challenges. You are our only hope. cry out to you for divine intervention. Divine intervention. Would you show up in power in our thought life? Show up in power in the emotions and affections of our hearts. Show up in power in our marriages, God. Show up in power in our kids, our grandkids, our loved ones. Show up in power in our places of employment, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. You are our only hope, and we need divine intervention. So church, if you're praying that with me, just make an altar at your seat, or the altars are open up here if you'd like to come. We want to just take take some time here. Don't start thinking about leaving yet. Let's just press into the presence of God. Let's tell him we make room for you right now, Lord. Church, before we close, uh, could we close our eyes again? And if you're with me, uh, let's, let's make a physical response before the Lord. And if you're just saying, I make room for you in my life, God, I, 
forgive me for not doing it enough. I wanna make room for you in this beautiful context of grace and life that you've given. Just raise up your hands with me, with our eyes closed so we're not looking around. I'm not even gonna open my eyes. And if, if, it's, if you're uncomfortable with it, that's okay. I mean, just do it. You can raise them low if you want to, but let's just raise them both up before God and say, God, we are hungry for more of you in our lives, God. We are declaring right now in this moment a giant yes before you, joining with the disciples of old. We're disciples right now in this modern era, and you've got us right in the situation in life where you want us, and you've got us paying attention to you in the midst of our storm, and you've got us saying, yes, come into our boat even more, Lord. Come in, Lord. We make room for you. We commit our lives to you, Lord. Fill our hearts and minds. Fill our schedule. Give us wisdom. Teach us your ways, God. And like we've been praying, you're truly our only hope. We need divine intervention. And with our hands raised, we're saying, God, I need divine intervention. I've tried so many other things. I need divine intervention. I need a demonstration of your power in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name. I'm going to pray this benediction over us, church. Then we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Love you guys very much. We're honored to worship with you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Let's just give thanks to God before we go. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord.